This morning's reading is from Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. These are the words of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze. How are you guys doing this morning? My name is Russell Davis, and I get the opportunity to, um, to go over Jonah 3 with you. Um, also like to welcome all those who are uh, joining us on YouTube Live this morning. Glad to have you. Um, this week, or this, this last few weeks, we've been going through Jonah in the series, You Can't Outrun God's Grace. Today, we get to cover Jonah going to Nineveh and the revival that happens. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we are able to come together and worship you and fellowship with, one and, with each other and study your word together. Father, we live in a time where people wander aimlessly to find something for meaning in life. And sometimes we wander as well. Today, we pray that you would revive our hearts and that in that revival, your church would be beautified. We pray for your continuing work in our lives, that we would be shaped by your Holy Spirit to be more like you. In our son, in our in our glorious Savior's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So, the story of Jonah. It's kind of weird, um, to say the least. Uh, Jonah first gets the word from God. He thinks he's going to run unsuccessfully, as it would seem. He, he goes the other direction. Uh, and then he spends time in a whale, or a fish, or a sea creature. It's a something. We know it's... We know it's in the sea, and then it's big, because people are not small. But, but really, and so, and so he runs, he, he repents, and he returns, and now he's going to Nineveh. And so we got an understanding a little bit in the first week, Kellen covered like the, the Assyrians and where, where Nineveh was and, and why he wouldn't want to go. So we get this understanding. Um, the Ninevites were known for their brutal war tactics and cruelty. So it makes sense. Jonah wouldn't want to go. But when I was looking at this week, or I was looking at this, this chapter, I realized he gave a really short message. In, in English, it's eight words. But in those eight words, why, why would the Ninevites 
Why would they go? And so that just kind of bothered me. So I had to dig in. I'm like, why do I, like, what do scholars think? And so I kind of did some, some digging. I couldn't help myself, nerded out for a while on this. And I just wanted to share some cool stuff I found. So the name Nineveh, archaeologists and historians believe it, it was referring to a pagan goddess. Some 2,000 years before Jonah uh, came on the scene, the, this, the city was named after this goddess and it was because she was called the goddess Ishtar of Nineveh. And then the shortened, they called her Nina. And in the styling of writing that they had, they, they used pictures and it was Nineveh was represented, which I think is really fascinating, by a, by a fish in a house. So I'm like, wait, what? A fish? And then, and sort of, in, and in turn, the city of Nineveh, or, or this, their goddess was represented by a fish. And so, thinking through this, it's completely possible that when news of Jonah getting vomited up, that it would have gotten everyone, someone would, he would think someone would have seen this, and news spread. And if it would have gotten to Nineveh before he did, or while he was there, you, it would make logical sense that the Ninevites would see him and, and were, were like, wait, that, that's the guy that was spit out by the sea creature? By, by the person that represents our goddess? And in turn, they could see that God had command over the fish. And by extension, God had actual power and Ishtar was powerless. And so, just kind of like looking at that, I'm like that, so you kind of get this foundation like, okay, so this is, this is weird thing showing up and, and he just speaks. And so God kind of, in almost in a sense, in a turn of events, he, he lined it up to where he prepared these people or he gave him basically a little ammunition that he didn't even know he had. So, um, but like I said, this, this week we're, we're talking about this. So now we're, we're going to cover this revival that went through Nineveh. So go ahead and pull out your notes and we'll get started. God commanded Jonah a second time to call the Ninevites to repentance. And this time he listened. And in spite of Jonah doing the bare minimum, an eight-word sermon, five in Hebrew, <laughs> revival spread through the, city, the great city of Nineveh and many lives were saved. So, so what is a revival? Well, revival comes from the word to revive. It is, it is the act of reviving, kind of, kind of a given there. But it is to return to consciousness or life, to become active or flourishing again. It is renewal of the body, mind, spirit to health and vigor. When I was going through this day, I realized I had my own kind of baggage, you would say, on what I, when I hear the word revival and what I would think. And so, um, just for a moment, before, before we go into like these various sessions, just think, like you just spend a moment and think about um, what's the first thought that comes to mind when you hear revival? So just think about that. What pictures, what events, maybe you've experienced revival. Specifically, like spiritual revival. See, there's, there's three common views 
of revival. Uh, one being the charismatic view. And that is uh, an increased ex- extraordinary manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Miracles, healings, prophecy, words of knowledge, revelation. And, and while there's nothing wrong with this, there's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues, with prophesying, words of knowledge, these are, these are all great things. But sometimes it's possible to get lost in that and think it's not, a revival isn't happening if these things, if these extraordinary manifestations aren't happening. So there's a risk to be preoccupied with gifts rather than the gift giver. We're, we're worrying about these, uh, these extra things or these things that he gives us instead of love for him. Then there's the more fundamentalist view. And that's where there's an increased energetic and enthusiastic evangelistic efforts. You know, the, the crusades, revival meetings, per, personal witnessing. Evangelism does happen in revival. But it's not a forced thing. It, and, it, and it's not always an immediate thing in our lives. Sometimes God has to do some work. or we have, he, he has to work on our hearts and soften it. Even Paul, who had one of the most dramatic callings from Christ in the whole Bible, even he studied for three years before beginning his ministry. See, the, the risk with only thinking it's this, this, the fundamentalist view is that evangelistic fervor becomes something that is forced rather than an overflowing from a lifestyle of walking with Christ. And then the, a third of, the, of these common, common views is this a secular view where it's primitive, emotional, there's cathartic events occurring amongst uneducated people who are subject to psychological manipulation by evangelists or charlatans. The, the risk here is thinking that it's all sociological manipulation, that it's all just being manipulated. And while this does happen, that's not revival. So, so what is? What is revival? So it's some of these things, but it's, but it's not. It is the spiritual revival. Here's the next fill in the blank. Is, the, is an intensified work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to make the person and the work of Christ more real to us. See, a lot of the times, the work of the Holy Spirit seems ordinary. But really, it's, it's, it's so great. You, it's, you're more loving. You have more joy. More prayer, fervent prayer life. You just want, you can't, you can't stop studying. You just, you just want more of him. And the list goes on. It's not always tongues of fire like in Acts 2. In fact, most of the time, it, it's not. It, it's more like supernatural peace. It's like peace that's been dialed up to 11. I know some of you might ask, why not just make 10 higher? But 11, it's just, it's one. You got to turn it, it's just one higher than. 
Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. Bad joke. But, but it's really, it's, it's this supernatural peace. And in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a supernatural. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how you know he's working. It's, this, it's, something, it's something almost intangible, but you notice it. So, so now that we have spiritual revival defined, how can we get it? Or how, how, how do we know we have it? Or, or even how do we know it's happening? What, what's, what are the logistics here? Well, first there's, there's God's part in revival. Verse 1, Jonah uh, 3, 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God did not give up on Jonah. And by extension, he did not give up on the people of Nineveh. God pursues a continuing love relationship with us that is real and personal. See, you, you are never more alive than when you have a personal and real relationship with God. So, first, so he pursues this relationship with us. And then, and also knowing that it says, the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is a God of the second chance. And he isn't giving up on you or me. Or, or any of he's, his mercy and grace are inexhaustible. He doesn't give up on us. Am I losing it? Hold on. There I am. Oh, I can talk wider now. Not yelling. <laughs> I'm still going to blow your... Oh, ah, thanks for turning me down. <laughs> All right. So God is the God of the second chance. His mercy and grace are inexhaustible. He doesn't give up on us. And you're only as close to God as you want to be. He also, another part, his part is he invites us to be involved with him in his work. See, the word of the Lord came and said, verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the Lord. Every Christian is called to ministry in the church. All of us. And a mission to the world. So, so in that, what's, so 
God is pursuing a relationship with us. He giving us, he's the God of second chances. But more than that, we have so many, he just keeps pursuing us. And then, and he invites us to be involved in his work. So what's our part? Verses three and four is Jonah got, went, got up and went to Nineveh. It was a massive city. Took three days, a three days journey across. It's pretty large. It's pro, it was, uh, I think chapter four, it mentions 120,000 people. So it's, it, was, it was massive for the time. Jonah went through the city calling out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Again, with the eight word sermon. Good job, dude. But in spite of that, God still worked. He still invited Jonah and he still joined. And see, but here's the thing. Chapter five, the people of Nineveh believed God. And then they called out to fast, to put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least, all of them. Station in life did not matter. They even, to the animals as well. Even the, they made the animals fast. See, first is you, for the first part on our part is we hear God's word. It's that first fill in the blank there is hear God's word. The people of Nineveh heard God's message to them and believed God. The verse says, and the people of Nineveh believed God, not Jonah. They believed God. The next is obey God's word. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. And then he issued this proclamation to the, to the and it was published throughout Nineveh calling everyone to fast from food and drink, including the animals, wear sackcloth, which was just really uncomfortable clothing that was a representa representation of mourning. And then telling them to call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So we first hear and then we obey and then we share God's word. The word of God spread. Jonah didn't speak to the ruler, to the king of Nineveh. But word reached him anyways. It spread. The people who heard and obeyed shared. So our part is to hear, obey, and share God's word. So we're doing this. What, so brings us to what are the characteristics? How can we know? What, what, what should we be looking for when revival happens? Or, or what can we do to, to usher in or, or to... To invite God in for, in, in for revival in our hearts and in our, in our, in our churches and our families. Uh, I put some references there in Acts where, um, where revival was, was rampant in Acts. Um, so I invite you to read those. But it's the first one is the word of God is clearly preached. Without... Without the gospel being preached, it's just a pep rally. Just getting all riled up. Yeah. But 
But without the good news, what are we getting excited about? Next, characteristic of a true revival is esteem for God and ego of facing repentance. Your ego is, you you no longer have it. It doesn't matter. You're, You're not concerned with yourself, but rather you understand you're standing with God. It's this understanding that I'm more sinful than I could possibly understand. I have no idea. Not fully. And then I'm more loved than I could ever imagine. And this gives this repentant heart, this, this esteem for God and a repentant heart. Next is contagiously sweeping impact on people, touching every dimension of their lives. And this is a big one. This is where we, we start to see it move. Because those first things are kind of in our hearts. And then this is where it starts re- going out. And that starts with an intimate fellowship. This is, this is small groups, Bible studies, Christian friends, being in relationships with other Christians where you can share in the hard stuff. And you can be vulnerable with them. An actual safe place Not safe from conflict, but condemnation. The next is is vibrant worship. Where you just, you're here and you just can't help but worship God. It's just, it's in every part of your being. It's giving him praise. Then there's contagious evangelism. You get excited. You get excited And you can't wait to share with others what God is doing in your life. You're not trying to convert people or like win the argument. You just want to share. God's changed me. I was this way and now I'm that. And he's still working on me. And I can't, I mean, I just can't not tell you. And you're you're excited when you get the opportunity to share. And it's not something that's forced. It just comes out and it's contagious. Next is social concern. Acts 2.45. Selling their, and talking about, uh, about the early church. Selling their possessions and distributing them, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So this, this social concern, talked about in the announcements, the Phoenix Dream Center. This, this is something that comes to mind is all those at Desert Breeze who are putting in time, effort, finances, prayer towards this. Social concern. Their efforts towards helping, pe- helping these, these people get out of sex trafficking and having a place to go and hearing the truth and that there is hope. And also part of this contagiously sweeping impact is extraordinary prayer. Not just prayer for our own personal needs, but it's but it's just wanting, can't, he's praying for others. Either praying with them or for them, praying for our nation. It, and also something that we're doing at Desert Breeze is the, uh, that we're doing at Desert Breeze is on um, Sunday nights at six. There's a prayer. Amen. These are characteristics of how it impacts. And then the next is this Urgency over eternal issues. 
verse 9 and 10, said, Who knows, the king speaking, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, he turned, and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. The people of Nineveh didn't sit around waiting. It was like, well, we'll get to it. It was, it was like, we got a call out. We got, we were repenting. There's a sense of urgency. This, this call, this call urgently, and he's calling urgently on God. It's a, it's this apathy and lethargy and laziness, sluggishness about church attendance, Bible study, involvement in ministry is over. This urgency, sense of urgency that we need to have. So these are characteristics that we see in revival, which I'm super excited. Like, we, these are happening here in our church. I mean, we know the word of God is preached and there's repentance happening and this, this contagious sweeping impact. Study, Bible studies and community, like people helping in the community and prayer and worship and, and the sense of urgency. That's so important. See, God gives us the choice, a choice where we can either experience his mercy and grace or is justice and judgment? It's our choice. So how do we know? So these things, how do we know a revival is happening? We know a revival is happening when stagnant Christians are awakened. Nominal Christians realize they were never Christians. And consciously non-Christians fall in love with the beauty of Jesus Christ. See, stagnant Christians, it, we, it, no sense of urgency. There's that lukewarmness. Revelation 3.16, you're a lukewarm, neither hot nor, cold, so I sp- hot nor cold, so I spit you out of my mouth. This is lukewarmness. Sense of urgency. We become stagnant like a, like a, a dead pond where nothing flows in or out. And then the nominal Christian, that's in Christian in name only. See, it's possible to have attended church your entire life and missed it. So you're still trying to earn his favor. You somehow think you can't get it or, or, or worse yet, you are a good person and you're better than other people. And then there's the consciously non-Christians who fall in love with the beauty of Jesus Christ. See, this can only happen though when Christians wake up, there's a sense of urgency in their lives of of this, this love for Jesus that beautifies the church. It makes it so much more beautiful and appetizing. And too often, we're trying to convince someone who doesn't believe Using logic. And we're like, oh, if we just got them the right book or if we just got them the right argument here or have you watched this YouTube video or... But instead, most of the, the apprehension is a misunderstanding of what it actually means to be a Christian. See, there is a God who loves you and has a plan for you. 
And that our pride and selfishness separates us from God. But not God's love for us. And see, and there's, also, there's a price to be paid for our pride and selfishness that Jesus paid through his life, passion, death, and resurrection. So we know there's a revival happening when, when these stagnant Christians are waking up, nominal Christians are, are coming and can being converted, and, and non-Christians, consciously non-Christians, are coming to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. And this can only happen when the word is clearly preached. There's esteem for God and repentance. This contagiousness that's of sweeping impact on people and their urgency over eternal issues. See, Christians shouldn't look like non-Christians. Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. But too often, look like everybody else. Same things get to us. And they do, generally. I mean, same things get to me. Because it's easy to get distracted. Even Peter got distracted. Matthew 14, the story of Jesus, when he, he, he walks on the water, they, see, they think they see a ghost. And he's like, oh, it's a ghost. Ah. And they realize, oh, oh, it's Jesus. And then Peter calls out and says, knowing if Jesus calls me out on the water, I too can walk on the water. So he says, call me out. So he does. And Peter walks on the water. And then quickly is distracted and afraid and starts sinking. But then rightly so, Peter calls out to Jesus and is saved. Save me. We get distracted and the only response, he calls us to walk on the water. And we get distracted and when that happens, the only thing we can do is call back to him. So it's important to know that revival is not an event to have or a destination to reach, or, but, but, sorry, but a continual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, in this, some of us have had this misconception of revival, or, or rather, we have these mountaintop experiences, right? Where you, you're going to a retreat, or a conference, or it's, it even happens, even better, it happens on Sunday morning, but sometimes Monday comes around, comes around or the next week, and the, the real world hits and that feeling is gone. And it's okay. It happens. But revival isn't this event. And it doesn't, sometimes this feeling kind of goes away. But we have to know the truth is revival is a continual, continual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Philippians 1.6 I am sure I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is a continually, continual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, um, the book of Jonah, for me, has a very uh, special place in my life or in my heart. Even for a while, I used to, uh, some of you might, some people uh, remember when I asked me, like, oh, yeah. I used to have a, uh, one of those, like, live strong bracelets sort of thing. But it was, uh, I had them printed for myself. And it said, I am Jonah. And then on the back said, at 2-9, which is um, Jonah 2-9. And it's, with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I would pay 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his. And he's working. So, you see, and, and why this, this has a special place for me is, uh, see, I, I grew up Desert Breeze. I, the, in fact, the church started in my childhood home. My, and my parents still live in that house. So, I can go back to where it was originally. I know the, it looks a little different. But, but I remember it very vividly. I grew up in the church. I did the Christian school thing, youth camps. I attended a choir, the fire. And at 18, I almost joined Teen Mania Ministries. But for me, I was being an elder brother. It's following the rules. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I was doing it under my own strength. And it didn't last. And see, when I got on my own, I went full on younger brother. It wasn't, and then, um, but it wasn't until the summer of 2005 where I, where I would say, God saved me. Like Jonah, I was saved from the pit. And I knew it was the prayers of my family. See, this day I remember vividly. <clears throat> I was living at the, so at the time I was living with a girlfriend. Been, it had been a year or so at that point. And one night, middle of the night, I remember waking up with a feeling of dread. <sighs> the best I can describe is... This has to be what hell is like. Being spiritually dead. Just sitting there. After sitting there for a few moments, there was a thought so clear as practically a voice. It came into my mind. Russ. What are you doing? A month later, by that time, I'd moved out. Uh, girlfriend and I broke up um, as we both wanted different things. And I started going to church again. Saturday nights. Specifically remember uh, was when Saturday nights were in, we're at Sandra Day. And uh, they were in that little, the smaller auditorium. And... Something I remembered, and the reason I came back to this, the reason I remembered it was a place where it was okay to be broken. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be real. It's not under our own strength, it's under God's. See, and for me, it wasn't a magical change overnight. I would still do stuff, slip back into old destructive habits. But God didn't give up on me. And it has been a hard, daily, continual process that the Holy Spirit is doing in me. Yes. And this is not my credit or strength even a little bit. 
I tried to do it on my own, and I failed. But it was his. See, Jonah 2.9, the last part is salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his, not ours. We can't do it. He called me from the pit. I couldn't outrun God's grace, and I tried. And you can't either. We can't. He's calling you. So, if you hear anything I say this morning, or have missed parts, or went too quickly, and I want you to pull out your notes for me. There's two parts specifically I want you to circle, or star, or mark. And this is spiritual revival is an intensified work of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to make a person, is to make the person and work of Christ more real. There's a sense of urgency. He's real. And if he's not becoming more real, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's how you know. That's the Holy Spirit. He makes it more real to us. Sense of urgency. And then the second part I want you to circle is that revival is not an event to have or a destination to reach, but a continual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's continual. It's not overnight. Sometimes there are those stories that happen. That wasn't me. And that's most people don't have it. It's not overnight. But he continued. He still loves you. He's still pursuing you. You can't outrun his grace. Jonah couldn't. The people of Nineveh couldn't. And we can't. Let's pray. Father God, we live in a time where people wander aimlessly to find something that gives them meaning in life. And we do as well. We thank you that you are a God of love and mercy, that you pursue us regardless of our shortcomings. I pray that we will be awakened to the truth of your word. I pray for revival here at Desert Breeze. And then everywhere your word is taught and preached, there will be revival to the ends of the earth that your glory would be made known to the world through the love of your people. That all might come to know you. In our glorious Savior's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If, you, if you have any questions about anything, I'll be up here. If you need prayer or just want to talk, I'll be here as well, along with any available elders and leaders. Uh, thank you. God bless. Have a great week.